and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. What do you think of that? I'll explain this a little bit more in, in the minute, and I don't want it to be distracting. Um, so just have a look at it. Picture made up of just... M- millions of different compositions but when you stand far away what do you see your world I think that they call mosaic pictures for those that are interested and you can find them all over the place there was one guy who basically makes pictures out of Rubik's cubes I don't know whether you've seen this where he turns the face to certain colors and puts them all in a in a wall and then you stand back and you see the face of Rihanna Oh, I mean, it's just out of this world. But anyway, I'll talk about this in a minute. Can you, can you just go to the other one as well, straight away, please? Because I just wanted to be a bit naughty. Um, <laughs> look what we've got here. I call this Mormon Jesus. But look what's happening. Same thing. Oh, look at this. Now, you see, this speaks to me. Speaks to me. Because what I see is incorporated in what you could call the one thing is the many and that is powerful and we'll talk about this oh I've gone off am I all right okay we'll talk about this a little bit more in in a minute do you want to just take them off for now because I don't want it to be distracting but um, what I'm bringing you today and we start with that as just a little opener um, it's my story it's my journey And uh, I want to make it very clear, none of you have to accept it as truth, but if it resonates with you, you're invited to learn from it. And uh, I still want to contribute here at Q because I feel that there are still things to be discovered. And um, I can, and you can, become more aware of our part in the God story. And I want to be awake to being conscious of what I am a part of and truly live that out. That's my whole motivation for Q. Now, I'll start very quickly by saying it might run on a little bit this morning and I don't make any apologies because I've tried to cut it down and I'll do my best, but we're not talking five o'clock this evening. We're talking about just an extra 10 minutes, but please just hang with me and I hope this is, is, is helpful. Antho always used to say when visiting speakers came, he said, you don't have to accept everything they say. He says, have a listen. He says, and if it confirms what you already believe and you're happy with that, then just, it's confirmed what I believe. 
And if it doesn't confirm in the sense of what they're saying, you don't like what they're saying, you think, oh, well, that's okay. It still confirms what I already believe. Do you get me? But on the other hand, some of us might just need that little bit of a challenge to say, oh, I've never thought of it that way before. And I absolutely love that song that Danny's just sung because I would say that resonates with me. It resonates with me. And I love it. It's my part of my story. And I know that that's why I'm where I am today. So like Jenny said the other week, and I loved it, we laughed around the table that Sunday because we talked about the dinghy. It was all the dinghy. Burst in the dinghy. Should you burst the dinghy, don't burst the dinghy. And in our house, when we talk around the table, we have a spoon. And uh, you'll laugh because if we all talk at once, so we have the spoon. And we pick up the big tablespoon and we hold it up in the air, which means it's my turn. <laughs> my turn. And, um, it, you know, that day when the, it was all about the dinghy bursting and should it be bursting, are we wrong in bursting somebody's dinghy? It was wonderful. And, and I thank Jenny for what she brought that day because um, it was just so wonderful. But anyway, moving on. Um, I'm not bothered whether, and some of you might struggle with this, but I'm just, we're authentic, we're honest. I'm not bothered whether the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt or not. That's just a, a one example. History suggests that they weren't, but we're told they were. Um, I don't care how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, or can God create a rock that he cannot lift? Have you thought about that? Oh, God can do anything. Also, he can create a rock that he cannot lift. Now, you might think, they're stupid, Chris. What are you doing? What I'm trying to get at is that we can spend hours talking about whether a thing is true or not, whether think, does it matter to me today? And remember, I've said at the beginning, I've qualified this, this is my story. I'm just wanting to, but what I do care about is whether this life that I've been given, I'm truly living it. And in all honesty, I have only really lived for 20 years. Now, it's going to make me cry because this is me being real with you. I have been in the church since I was born, but I have only truly lived for the last 20 years. And I will immediately say those 20 years have been practically hell on earth, but I have truly lived them. I have lived them. Seriously, put the finger away, Chris. I have lived them. I have lived them. It's a, this is my passion that is speaking. And that's for another time. We can talk about that another time. But I believe that 17 years, well, it's 18 now, going on 20, but you know what I mean? That's when I was born again. I was born again. Oh, I'd had a born again experience before, but I was truly born again about 17 years ago. Now, I was handed a particular story that molded my Christian beliefs, and it's taken time to shed them. And um, Jesus and what it meant for him to live and die and resurrect, at the time, answered every question of life. And there was no need for a any other mode of inquiry. Um, but like we've just seen in those pictures, and this is what I, I wanted to bring them, if we just step back or step closer, whichever way you go, you get a different picture and understanding. 
So, the, the imp you know, it's important to, to look from a distance because, for instance, the world. I love a picture of the world, but when you come in and you see all those people, guess what? They're who I have to deal with. That's where the rubber's hitting the road for me. Oh, let's go to space and look at this lovely green ball, this green planet. I'm not kidding you. I have to deal when it comes close. Do you get me? And that is an amazing thing. I have realized that, you know, that, oh, there's, there's a phrase and it's just, just escaped me. But where you have to really live the Christian life is with people. It's not about a spiritual life you just have on your own that you can have, you know, piety and all this sort of stuff. No, put it to work with people and see what happens then. So I like Jesus, lovely picture of Jesus. But when you zoom in and you see all the pictures of people who make him up, are you with me? Oh, some people are going to say, yes, but people don't make up Jesus. I, I believe they do. See, I can say, I like Jesus, but I can't stand my neighbor. Guess what? Your neighbor is Jesus. And some of you won't like that, but for me, that's where, as I've already said, the rubber hits the road. So you see, no single map or picture is adequate. And I only had one string to my fiddle. And when you think about it, one string to a fiddle doesn't really give a meaningful tune to life. It gives one sound and that's all I had. Although I was told that my one string could truly play a symphony. No, it didn't. It played one sound. And as we go through, everything I say, in, in essence, is going to link with the next thing. So see it through to the end. But you see, the real message that I was being given was I can't trust myself. I have to stay dependent because I need something beyond me to be anything uh, in life at all. But you know what I've understood, and, and I was it, so I'll be honest, I was codependent, absolutely codependent. And sadly, so many of us become codependent people. We become children when we're supposed to become mature sons. We're supposed to adults, we're supposed to grow up, and we don't. So I would say that right now at this time in this very immature place, in essence, that I am, which you could call 18 years into a, a, a new experience, I don't think I've ever been as faithful as I am now. But the picture that I now have is made up of many other nuances, many other pictures. So what you've just seen, and if you want to put it on again, you can, I have no problem. I just don't want you to be distracted by it. The world and Jesus' face made up of small pictures, but ultimately they make the bigger picture. And uh, we find a world, and we even find Jesus, if we want to see him as that uh, physical being that walked the earth, we see that it's something that obstinately refuses to conform to our preconceptions of what it ought to be like. So you're looking, you're looking in there, you zoom in and you think, oh, that's, that's not what it's like. And when I was thinking about the world, for instance, if we zoom in a few years ago to Australia and California, they were on fire. And if we only see that bit as the world, the whole world is on fire. But guess what? 
It wasn't. See, if you zoom into another one, there's a lovely newborn baby with skin as soft as silk, and it's kicking and googling. And if I'm oh, googling? You mean gurgling? Hey, it'll be it'll be googling soon enough. It's gurgling. And what do we see from that? New life, perfection, beauty. Not a life that's even begun, done nothing. And if I just look at that, I then don't see the trouble over here. Am I making sense? But the whole is made up of many different pictures. So, um, where was I? Okay. And so with Jesus, for instance, I believe we can put our eggs into one basket when actually Jesus should be opening up our understanding to so much more than one thing. Uh, what's interesting, you know, and I've said this already, I said I love Jesus, but I didn't really love the people that he included because guess what? I didn't want to include them. <laughs> and that's just the, the truth. We, we come up with a, a story that says those people. And yet, if we look at uh, one of the scriptures of Paul, he says, but in him we live and move and have our being. Who? See, that's where it begins, begins to be questioned. It's all of us, everything. In him we live, move, and have our being. So recently I've been reading a book by Alastair McGrath, and some of you who are into science and that sort of thing will probably appreciate it. He's an incredibly accredited scientist, but he's also a theologian. And the story goes is how he was trying to reconcile uh, faith and science. And um, as he was making the journey, it was really quite interesting. He said, it intrigued me that the similarities of his journey to mine, but it was just the other way around because he went from atheism to Christianity. And in some sense, I think I've gone from Christianity, what looks like a bit more towards atheism. I wouldn't say that, but you know, it looks like it's the other way around. That's all I'm saying. But listen to this. He was an atheist because it had sorted out all the great questions of life in a way that resonated with his youthful intolerance of uncertainty and the dislike of complexity. Whoa, it blew me away. And I thought, how much have we done the same? See, he came to a point when he says he had experienced a crisis of faith. Oh my goodness. He's a, he's a scientist, but he's, he's experienced a crisis of faith. Leading to, listen to this, the shattering of what he now realized to be a spurious pseudo-certainties about the natural sciences. He found it difficult to cope with uncertainty, and he'd been drawn to them because he believed it offered him the clarity and certainty he craved. But then guess what? It was shattered because they didn't. Guess why? Because it's one map, one picture in the whole. And yet what we have done in Christianity, we, we have said there is one picture for the whole. One size fits all. And this guy, he was wondering how he wrote it was beautiful. Because he said he no longer gave him the certainties he was looking for. So does that sound familiar? He challenged his obsessive quest for indubitable answers. Oh, I did that good. Indubitable answers, which means impossible to doubt. To life's deepest questions, he challenged his inbuilt aversion to uncertainty. And I think some of us 
have, but some of us are beginning to challenge that inbuilt inversion to uncertainty. So to appreciate the importance of Jesus or the world, we have to realize that we need to use several maps of meaning. No single map is adequate to the task of disclosing what the New Testament calls the boundless riches of, now I'm going to just stop there because I've been talking about the picture of Jesus, but guess what word I'm going to put in there now, what Ephesians says? It's Christ, the boundless riches of Christ. Ephesians 3.8, if anybody wants to have a look at that. See, the danger is we've reduced the complexity into some simplistic narrative or abstract principle, and we aggressively insist there is only one valid way of exploring and representing our complex world. So, do you see what I'm getting at? He did it from his angle, I did it from mine, and probably, guess what, me and Alistair, I haven't got a letter after my name. He's got dozens, but guess what? We came to the same conclusion. Isn't that quite amazing? See, there's a phrase that says we can't see the forest for the trees. That's weird, because what do we mean? We can't see the... What we mean is we're so in the middle of a whole bunch of trees that basically we can't find any uh, way out to see anything other than the trees. Do you, do you get it? Too close. But guess what? Just a, probably a few Maybe it's a hundred yards either way of a forest. You find you come to grass. And guess what? You see the hills. You see a road. You see a pub. You see whatever. Why? Because that's all going on at the same time as the forest, which if all we will live in is the forest, that's all we will ever see. So you see, I'm going to put this now and say this. I found Christ and saw my world in a very different light when I was willing to understand that they are both made up of all of us and everything, and they are both good and they are bad. Here endeth first session. I hope you've enjoyed that because I think it's just fantastic. What you have to understand for those who are not friends followers, but Phoebe is the thicker, really, of the, the group. Very wise and very incredibly astute, but she comes over as the thicker. But she's actually winding up Ross like you wouldn't believe. Now, I just think to myself, I have been both Ross and I've also been Phoebe. Come on, let's be honest. I've been both of them. And, um, you know, you think about it, the generic answers, what do they project other than our ego? And we project our ego in a very toxic way if uh, we insist that there is only one way of looking at anything. And uh, if we think an ego is bad, well, I invite you to have a look at a spiritual ego, uh, which in my opinion is far worse. And as I say, I own the fact that I have been there and probably still am, so I'm not trying to say anything other than that. But isn't it amazing how Ross is being wound up by someone who doesn't believe what he believes? And uh, his briefcase full of scientific facts. How many times have we used the Bible as our briefcase of facts that says the Bible says, and we've used that as bombs to blow up 
everybody's opinion about things when, if you get to what she's saying, that, hang on, hang on a minute, 50 years ago, you know, you didn't believe that, and now you believe this. Can we have that same humility? And I think it, it, it's so important, and um, we need to listen. Um, I love when she said, it's too easy. Isn't that brilliant? Evolution, it's too easy. Well, look, you can imagine how insulting that is to somebody. And we've done the same when we say, oh, no, 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 that's just a too easy answer for a, for a complex question. And yet we insist there's an easy answer, one that just slips off the tongue and is, is one size fits all. And, um, you know, you, you, when, when she says, can, you, can I not believe something that you don't? And he goes, no. See? No, you can't. And I loved it when he, he, she says it's time to put Ross under the microscope. Now, how many of us have been under a microscope over the last years, realizing that a lot of what we were came out of a very spiritual ego rather than something that was a, a humble attempt to say, I think I might have a grasp on this but I don't really know. I've got a few bits that I think I know. But anyway, um, there has to be a reason why we get so dogmatic about our stance on things. Now, the reason why we sung that song um, about for God has not given us a spirit of fear, I believe that fear is the one ingredient that ultimately motivates us all. And... Um, I find it, you know, interesting, even in the context of what's going on in the world at the moment, you recognize that any fundamentalist approach or a dogmatism, you can, you can hear it, how it comes out verbally is proportionate to how much people are afraid. Think about that. And, um, we, you know, does it sound familiar? Listen to this. Jesus is coming the world's going to end. You're all going to die. You need to do X. Do you get it? Fundamentalist. Why? Because of fear. What about this? And, and some of you won't like me saying this, but the COVID disease. The world's going to end. You're all going to die. You need to do X. Climate change. Oh, we're, we're at that one now. The world's going to end. You're all going to die. You need to do X. I don't care whether we call it Bible facts, scientific facts, but the desire for security will always demand a controlled narrative and an adherence to it. And that's where I find where we are as Q at the moment. In essence, we don't really have a controlled narrative. We have no agenda. We are trying to actually say there is no fear in love. But I'll tell you what I've noticed. I get full of fear. Why? I haven't got the same fear as, can I pick you out, Jenny? As Jenny. I know she loves me, so I can do it. I don't have the same fear as Jenny. In fact, I tell Je Jenny she's silly for having that fear she's got. But guess what? I have fears, but for a different reason. And my reason is, most of the time, for instance, in the world at the moment, I fear being controlled because I've been controlled, and guess what? I don't want to be controlled. So guess what? Everything I do, it's about, we have to stop people, governments, controlling us. Oh, where is it rooted? 
Joel, me and you, come on, babe, we know it. It's rooted in fear. But equally, we are saying to you a lot, you've been too afraid. Don't do X, don't do Y. Rooted in fear. But we were not given a spirit of fear, but love, power, sound mind. Oh my, that's big, isn't it? I mean, at the minute, the talk of the net zero policy, I mean, it just gets me furious because I think being there in the church, guess what the net zero policy was in the church? Eradicate sin. Oh, I've been in a net zero policy for 40 odd years of my life. I don't like it. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight to say I'm not going there again. I hope, am I getting the spirit over of this place? Because I hope so. Now, I know there are concerns. Don't say that I haven't said that Chris says there's no concerns. Of course there are concerns, but I'm going to ask a question. Can the earth absorb the errors that occur? Ooh, can I absorb the errors that occur in me? Now, guess what? History seems to tell us that it can. Billions of years of history. That which is not conducive to life seems to be overcome. And I'm going to give you two things. Mount St. Helens, they said it will take 300 years for, for the ecosystem to right itself. Guess how long it took? 30 you might say, it's still too long, still too long. No, because when they look now, it's better than it was before. And have a look, it's true. What about this? The coral reef. Have you heard lately what they're saying? Come on, wake up. Coral reef's dying, it's dying, it's dying. We'll have no coral reef, we'll have no coral reef. Guess what they're saying now? It's alive again. Oh my goodness, come on. Can the earth absorb? Can we absorb, not if we're full of fear, but with grace and love and a sound mind, we can not just endure, but we can be part of the creation of the bringing back of life to situations. So there's all sorts of things I could carry on saying. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to stop there. And uh, where am I? Let me have a look here. If there is only one way to see the world and the meaning of it, whether it be science or theology, you know, you've got to say, hang on, I've only got one string to my fiddle. And uh, what I want is to have a lot of strings. I want to be a, a symphony of sound, not just one. Are you getting, and then if we were to look at Corinthians, he said, if we don't have... Love, all we become is a sounding brass and a ting tingling cymbal. Basically, what's saying we become a, 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 just a horrible, screechy sound that is no joy to anybody. So, I've already covered, I think, what I wanted to say there. Things change, and we have to be as willing to change because the truth keeps developing, and that truth will always set us free if we're not afraid to receive it, and that will take us on to the next step of our journey. I, I don't expect anybody to clap for that. Isn't it incredibly heart-wrenching? I watched that, um, and I don't want to give too many spoilers. You might want to go watch it. It's a, a series called 1883. And what I love about it 
is that they've taken the romanticism out of pioneering. And it can seem so romantic to pioneer until you get down to the nitty gritty. And I can get really quite uh, emotional about this because I know that's part of my story. And um, I'll give you just a little bit of background because something's important here. This is a group of Germans who've arrived in Texas and they've looked for a guide to take them up to Oregon. And they've said they want to go. They've said that's what they want. They want the better life, but not remotely prepared for the journey. They thought they could make it, but be the same in Oregon as they were in Germany. And you can't, right? And I apologize for the swearing that was in it. I said, Danny, don't take it out. It's got to be raw. It needs to be real because we, we pretty things up way too often, don't we? It's got to be raw. And um, there's another problem, you see, what you will come to just in the next little frame. When they start to cross the river, there's another problem because their religion won't let them go in water. So they don't know how to swim. So they've got to get their stuff across, but also they have to use a rope and hold on to the rope and, you know, get across. Well, you can imagine the fear of the water. But what was the greater fear? You see, we're back to fear. They are rejecting their sacred beliefs that they're not allowed to go into the water. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. What do they do? Do they say we want Oregon? Or do they say, no, our sacred texts say we can't go in water. We can't do this. So they stay where they are. They're, they're the choices, aren't they? But anyway, I think it's wonderful that there's the little conversation at the beginning that said, if they can't cross here, they have no business going any further. And the other guy says, maybe they had no business going this far. And then there's a gracious reply from the guide, and he said, one could argue, none of us do. And I loved what Jenny said a few weeks ago about, we, we, we see what we see, we also see it when we see it. And there is an issue that, that we set off on journeys because we're in a group, but guess what? Not everybody's seeing the same thing at the same time. Not everybody's prepared at the same time, and it can become quite a harrowing journey. So, Everything had to go. And, you, you know, you can hear the argument, but we'll have nothing. And the fear that we're talking about in the last section is seen from two sides. The fear of the people, when we get there, we'll have nothing. The fear of the guide who says, but if you don't get rid of everything, you're not going to get there. Can you see the two sides of fear that are working together? And the incredible exchange, and I know you've already heard it, but I have to bring it to you. When he says, but he needs it, it's necessary. He needs his piano because he's a musician. And he says, no, he's not. You're not a musician. You're not a carpenter. You are pioneers. And that's all you are until you get there. Wow. How many of us like that identity? That you're not anything until you get there. Because, of course, we're going to have to say, well, in that case, we're never going to be anything because we're never going to get there. But often, our journey is scuppered because we want to keep the identity that we have 
in the here and now rather than being willing to say, I am willing to right now be nothing if it takes me to where I'm meant, meant to be. So, some of you didn't want to lose your piano. And I mean the hug. Did you see the hug? He's crying. How do you console somebody? It's like what Jenny said, when you've bust their dinghy, when you've burst their dinghy, how do you console somebody? He says these things can't be replaced. Yes, they can. But not now. Do you see what I mean? Can, can he be a musician when he gets to Oregon? Yes, he can. But he can't be here and now. He's got to wait until he gets there. I hope you, you're hearing this because some of you really struggle. That, well, who am I if? I'm not the gong ringer. You know, we use all these, these little phrases. But the thing is, can these things be replaced? Yes, they can. Are there ovens in Oregon? Are there, uh, are there pianos in Oregon? Are there tools in Oregon? Do you get me? You who have given up some of your beliefs think that they can't be replaced. I promise you, if they are true, when you get to Oregon, you'll pick them back up. You'll find them. Do you get me? But on the journey, they're heavy. They might bog you down. You might end up drowning in the river. So I think of the rich young ruler who went away sorrowing. He didn't want to give up what he'd held on to and was certain in for so long. So the scene that we were left with there, I have seen that at Q. I've seen all the, the furniture left as people have walked away and it can be quite sad. But is it worth it? You see, what's on the other side of the river? And we think, oh, great. Well, I'll leave you to watch 1883 so you can find out. But it's really, there is no uh, other than potential romance with, within couples. You've got no romance as far as the journeys they're concerned. Now, there's a lovely line. He says, they're going to hate you. And he comes back with this. He says, at least they'll still be alive to do it. Oh, what wonderful words. Are we willing to take the hatred of people for busting up their piano because it actually saves their lives. I know we're back to what Jenny said the other week and part of what I'm bringing today was bouncing off what she had to say. So what do I believe now? And it's a, it's a tough one this because honestly I keep thinking should I bag something down? I think I don't want to really. I'm quite happy to just get on my horse every day and ride the open plains wherever it leads me. And um, But if I was to say what do I believe? I, I, I believe it's the journey. That's it. He says, you've got the journey. That's all you have. You've got the journey. And uh, I'm a pioneer. And that the journey is all that there is. That's it. Now, I'm asking a question. Should everybody be pioneers? Whoa. Uh, I don't know about that. But because, you know, you can look at it from so many angles. We haven't time to pursue that more. But I think we should in the sense of our spirit, a pioneering spirit, because even if you don't want to go into the unknown, you can at least create a trading post for the pioneers to pick up stuff. Even if you feel you don't want to do that, you can, be, you can be a trader. And what gets traded at these places? Stuff for stuff. Trade some ideas. Trade some thoughts. 
and see where that takes you. Even if you want to stay put in a particular place, still be willing to trade with the pioneers that come through. So you might just become something more than, than, than you are. Um, and the family that this story is about, the ones that, that were going out to Oregon, she says something in a memoir, and she says this, I had abandoned every memory of Tennessee, that's where she had come from, as though I was born on this journey, but I wasn't. We were leaving a place, seeking another, and the journey was the necessary, miserable road between the two. See, to me, this is the born-again experience, and it's not a one-time thing. The life what is, or what was, is gone. And there is no label other than pioneer for what now is. And like the wonderful uh, thing that you can read online if you want to find it all, I've just taken a little snippet. It's this, and this is how I'll close. In settler theology, faith is trusting in the safety of the town, obeying the laws, keeping your nose clean, believing the mayor is in the courthouse, but in pioneer theology, faith is the spirit of adventure, the readiness to move out, to risk everything on the trail. Faith is obedience to the restless voice of the trail boss. In settler theology, sin is breaking one of the town's ordinances. In pioneer theology, sin is wanting to turn back. In settler theology, salvation is living close to home and hanging around the courthouse. In pioneer theology, salvation is being more afraid of sterile town life than death on the trail. Now, for some of us, that's the toughie, because we think that if we are going pioneering, death should not be in, in the question, but it is. It is, and that's where we've been romanticized, you see. Oh, well, if we do it this way, we, we won't know. You're still potentially going to get bitten by a snake. You're still potentially going to get poisoned by horrible toxic water. But are you, uh, will you, are you willing to prefer the journey, see, the journey to the fact that you would have then life, then death on the trail? Salvation is joy at the thought of another day to push on into the unknown. And that's why we're going to finish with this last uh, song, uh, Everything I Need is Within Me, because to me, that is how I look now as at God. That is the whole open space that I am going into. And while I go into that, into that unknown space, everything I need is within me. So I hope that's helped. I've actually left out a lot, but not that that, not trying to qualify anything or justify anything. But if you want to have my notes, to have a read of them all, of course you can, if it helps. But just to try and take, we, we are in a, a, in a sense, a sad place because we're in that picture where we're walking away from everything that has been, and some people have left us. What did, what did people say to G Jesus when he said, you're going to have to drink my blood and eat my body? And the, what did, oh, that's, I'm not going to do that. So it says, many from that day left him. Don't, don't think, you know, just because Jesus was Jesus, he had it easy or people just flocked and thought this is great. No, many 
left him. Why? Because he was an offense to them. And we are here at Cure are offense to many because what we have said is that you have to empty your wagon. If you want to go, if you want to go into the consciousness, see, again, and I'm, I'm talking on. You see, for me, conscience, the little thing on your shoulder that was telling you all the time, I can't do that, can't do this, can't do that, you need to be this, you need to be that and the other. That's what I was, was ruled by. Instead of consciousness, how conscious to be in the wide open spaces and look around and say, as I behold the beauty of the world, this is me and God together doing life. That's it, I'm done. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>